This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, September 4th, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. We're living in the Wild West when it comes to how and when and under what authority the police may use drones, be it for lawful surveillance, following suspects, or maybe satisfying a less-than-appropriate curiosity. Patrick Eddington is a research fellow in Homeland Security and Civil Liberties at the Cato Institute. We spoke last week. Where is the tension right now between federal and state rules governing the use of drones, both privately and by police agencies? A lot of folks are trying to figure that out right now. (laughs) Part of the problem you have here is that you have two different tracks, essentially. You have what I would describe as a state-based use problem, right, whether it's federal, state, or local law enforcement on the one hand. And then you have a separate issue of drones, essentially, in the private sphere. Where this all comes together is in the safety issue. And, of course, this is what the Federal Aviation Administration has been wrestling with now for um, going on two or three years. And they have an interim kind of rule out there that's being debated now and some basic operating guidelines. But... FAA is not in the privacy and civil liberties business, right? They're in, they're in the airline safety and air safety business. And so they have punted, essentially, this entire issue of privacy and civil liberties with respect to drone usage over to the National Telecommunications and Information Agency, which is holding a series of public meetings over the course of the next several months to try to get public input on exactly you know how these issues ought to be fleshed out. But the, the larger concern that I have right now is in essentially this state use of drone sphere, particularly with respect to, to federal and, and state and local law enforcement. And we don't have really good, solid federal guidelines right now. And I would prefer to probably see statutes and, and to have them essentially follow what you see with things like FISA or something even stronger than FISA with respect to data retention and, and things of that nature. Now, the Electronic Privacy Information Center earlier this year asked the FAA for its rules or come up with rules for governing privacy with respect to drones. And as you say, FAA isn't so much concerned with privacy as air safety. Um, states have gone ahead and some police agencies and states are using drones. And it's not clear what by what authority or with what rules uh, will be governing their use of that, of that information. And that is kind of the Wild West environment we have right now with respect to this technology. So you have um, the great Commonwealth of Virginia, of, of which uh, I, am a, uh, I am a native. Um, they don't allow state or local law enforcement to use drones really at all for much of anything. There are those who argue that that's somewhat of an extreme position, and, and I tend to agree with that in that there are specific discrete circumstances where I can see that having that kind of aerial capability would be useful. Case in point, you have a, a, a tanker overturn on the beltway here in the D.C. area. The ability to put a drone up and kind of get better situational awareness about the scope of the traffic backup and things of that nature that I think you can accomplish without any kind of significant concerns over privacy and civil liberties. On the other hand, allowing local and state police to operate these drones in the absence of very, very clear, I believe, statutory guidelines about when they can be employed is a prescription for disaster. I mean, we have seen what the FBI has been willing to do with respect to the Stingray technology, the the cell phone spoofing 
technology and how they've actually made that available to state and local law enforcement. Um, that's very troubling. I can foresee a circumstance where you could see some kind of that technology ultimately mounted on a drone operated by the FBI or operated by the Virginia State Police and so on and so forth. And we, if we're going to live in a world where we potentially have to deal with that, we want to make sure that it's completely controlled and completely within the bounds of the Fourth Amendment. When people build fences around their property, high wooden fences that you can't see through, that, at least to me, says, I have a privacy interest in my backyard. Yes. And drones uh, potentially can violate that privacy interest uh, that we that we all have. And I feel like police agencies would or will or have already argued that, uh, well, you don't have a privacy interest in the air over your property, and you don't have a privacy interest on looking someone looking down on your property, certainly. And of course, we've had some court cases in the past that have, you know, essentially, tried to rule in that in that particular direction. But that being said, here we're talking about technology that can be unbelievably invasive. And I'll give you just one example. The Mesa County, Colorado Sheriff's Department is operating a drone that has an electro-optical or visible sensor on it that has a resolution of two millimeters. What does that mean? It means that when that particular drone is hovering a few hundred feet above, it can make out something as small as two millimeters. Now, when you start to get to that level of resolution, you are virtually obliterating any notion of privacy. So anybody who wants to be out in their backyard, let's say, sunbathing in the nude or swimming in the nude or whatever, there's no question that, that we're going to see at the state and the local level new ordinances, new statutes popping up to try to deal with those kinds of situations. As you indicated, we've already seen some in places like California and elsewhere. I think with respect to DOJ, the Department of Justice, I should say, and Department of Homeland Security, what's also been very troubling, and we're seeing this too at the state and local level, law enforcement agencies really aren't thinking through whether or not they actually need these things. And so in the case of DOJ, you wind up having the Bureau of Alcohol and Tobacco and Firearms spend almost a million dollars for a few drones that they found out they really couldn't use. And then another element of ATF goes out and buys still more drones that they find they can't use. So we're seeing waste of taxpayer money here. We're seeing a failure to implement really strong, fourth, truly Fourth Amendment compliant privacy and civil liberties protections and just a general lack of thinking through whether or not the technology itself is even appropriate for the alleged intended use. So for state lawmakers who are looking at this now, I think state police agencies may not have been clued in to the potential uh, fun and profit that you can have with, uh, with drones. But for state lawmakers that uh, may be listening, what are the general guidelines that uh, you would suggest are appropriate? or at least a, a, a first step toward making sure that police agencies aren't abusing the, this technology? Yeah, I think there are a few things. First off, if the police want to utilize this technology, they need to be forced to specify exactly in what circumstances they want to use it. So for example, if they want to try to use this for surveillance, in my judgment, that needs to be pursuant to a probable cause-based warrant, and I don't think there should be any exceptions there. If they're looking to use it for basically dealing with emergency situations of the kind I described previously, tanker truck overturns, you have potential hazardous material situation, then allowing them to operate drones for the purpose of establishing situational awareness and figuring out how big a problem they have, I think 
that raises fewer problems. Secondly, if you're a state or local legislator, I would want to be asking those really simple questions like, why do you need this? You know, what is it actually going to do for you that you can't do with the technology you already have? And where are you going to find the people that are qualified to operate it? Right? These are all critically important questions. So if it's going to involve money, the expenditure of money, always be asking questions about that. If it looks like it's going to present a privacy risk or even a safety risk to the public, they need to be on top of that as well. In the case of U.S. v. Jones, one of the considerations that I think is is fairly compelling was the use of uh, this te- of GPS technology mm-hmm. to track a suspect, uh, where having actual humans do the job would have been fairly expensive and and difficult to do. And that seems to be a, a place where police would like to move, which is we're going to use technology in lieu of manpower to save money to get better results. And that, that seems to be a legitimate concern. Always one of the primary arguments that they make with respect to the adoption of almost any kind of technology, if it saves, saves them manpower, at least if there is the, the um, the prospect or the, I'll call it illusion, of saving manpower, um, then it becomes kind of an attractive argument, not just to the police, but to the folks who actually have to write the checks in order to purchase the equipment. But in the Jones case, and, and this again is where I think it, it, the analogy is applicable to what we've seen with respect to GPS, the GPS tracking, the court in that case, the Jones case, found highly objectionable because it was continuous in nature, right? And I think that's one of the huge concerns that I know I have, Jay Stanley at the American Civil Liberties Union, other privacy advocates have, is the use of drones for continuous surveillance. And in the run-up to the Salt Lake Olympics, um, uh, the mayor actually wanted to employ 24-7 surveillance utilizing drones, and he wound up getting shot down on that precisely because folks were extremely concerned about the long-term implications of allowing that kind of continuous surveillance. And I think that's, that's another one of those issues that ultimately has to be addressed. Patrick Eddington is a research fellow in Homeland Security and Civil Liberties at the Cato Institute. Read more of his work at Cato.org.